Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. We are speaking to you tonight about the supernatural secrets of this biblical feast that's upon us, Rosh Hashanah. I would like it if you would open your Bibles today to the book of, to the book of, of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, Leviticus chapter 23, and we are looking at verse 24, Leviticus 23, verse 24. And then we will also look at Numbers chapter 29, verse 1. So let's begin tonight with Leviticus 23, verse 24. And we've interrupted this text. I want you to understand Leviticus 23 presents the biblical feasts in a very unique, powerful way. If you were with us um, in the afternoon, late afternoon service, um, on the Pastoral Connect call. You will understand this was a, a powerful service on the Shabbat and the whole meaning of the Shabbat and what the Lord actually says to us, how to prepare, because we want to prepare for the visitation of God. So we want to shut things down that are secular because you cannot mix the anointing with that which is secular. L let me just go back to that because I sense the Spirit of God leading us to that. Let's just go to Leviticus 23, beginning in verses one through three, just so we understand this concept. And here we see, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, concerning the feasts of the Lord, uh, the Bible says, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Notice now, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You will do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all of your dwellings. The unusual word here is dwellings. Why doesn't the Bible say in all of your houses? But it says in all of your dwellings. When you're studying the scriptures from a Hebrew perspective, you look for details because details show you the author's intent. And it's very unusual that he would say in all of your dwellings and not in all of your houses. Because when we're speaking about Passover, we don't get dwellings, we get house. All right, but dwellings here, why dwellings? This word the root of this word to dwell, shakan, say it, shakan. This is where the actual word shakinah developed from. To dwell is shakan, say it, to dwell is shakan. And it's related to the word shakinah. So that we are understanding that something happens in a person's residence when they shut off the secular and expect. Now, for believers, for born-again believers, 
to understand what this is all about and how to personally, prophetically apply it to our life. This is an act of faith. Because if you know that the Lord is going to visit you, aren't you going to prepare yourself? If you know you are expecting a holy visitation, are you going to allow business from the world to interfere with that time? What are you going to do? You, well, we talk to God all day. Of course we do. We're doing the dishes. We talk to God. We're mowing the lawn. We talk to God. We talk to the Lord all the time, don't we? How many of you have a constant communion with the Lord all day? Of course, we don't wait to just pray to have communion, but prayer is a special time that we give to God as a sacrifice that we say, this is your time, God. We pray without ceasing all day long. It's just a total uh, Lord, you know, constant communion, love the Lord, put your music on. You're in constant fellowship and communion with God even when you're doing your work and your business, right? And because you're aware that God is with you at every moment, you're aware that God sees and God hears every word that comes out of your mouth. You're aware that God is in your midst, so you have to consciously um, prepare the atmosphere because he's there, so you don't want to say anything to grieve the Holy Spirit. You want to be very careful to cultivate the presence of God wherever you are in your atmosphere. So that's prayer without ceasing, isn't it? All right. But we must also understand that when we pray, we consecrate time to God because we love him. And he's worthy. And he's the first in our life. So one of the ways we consecrate and say we put you above all things in our life is that we separate that time for prayer, don't we? We take time out of every day and say, you're first, you're my first love, you're the reason I hear, I'm here. I love you above all things, and so I've taken this time of the day to give to you because you are so worthy, right? All right. So that is definitely living in the visitation of God. However, when the biblical feasts come, there is a different, a different presence. There is a visitation. This word moed, this word for feast, this word for season also means meeting. How many of you are expecting a meeting with God on Rosh Hashanah? All right, well, if we're expecting a meeting with God, what are we going to do? Are we going to mix something secular with a holy visitation of God? You, you got to position yourself. And one of the greatest acts of faith that you can do if you are a believer is to demonstrate you really are expecting a move of God. You really are expecting God to come into your house and make it his dwelling. You really are expecting the Shekinah to manifest in your home that, uh, uh, that day before Rosh Hashanah. You really are expecting it. And the way to do it is to prepare yourself by shutting down. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. By faith, shutting down. Shutting down the business. Shutting down doesn't mean that you have to just, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to break something in, the, in, in law. No, we're not going by the law. We are going by the spirit because we are expecting a miracle. We are expecting a visitation. And God, we want to shut everything down so we can hear you. We do not want to mix the secular with the sacred, even if you're doing God's work. You have to be able to say, you know what? This is minuscule. I'm not going to engage in that today. This happens to 
be labor of some sort and it's going to take me away from my distraction on the presence of God because today I belong to him 100%. Are you with me? That's what we're preparing for Rosh Hashanah, all right? So that in one sense, I hear the Holy Ghost going another direction. So just for a minute, I don't know if he's going in this direction the whole time, but I got to follow him, okay, because he's leading me over here. He's kind of messing up everything. and He's not really messing it up. I'm the one who messed it up. I'm just following what he's doing, amen. amen. But I sense him doing it. So what we have to do here is that we have to understand what is this that, that the book of Leviticus is teaching us, that all of the biblical feasts have a similar similitude, a spiritual similitude patterned after the seventh day. So what is that? Does it mean that, okay, so we, now we kind of have a new, more personal prophetic meaning of the Shabbat, and now we feel much more comfortable with embracing it. So we're not feeling like we are becoming, uh, losing grace in the midst. How many of you feel a little more comfortable about that? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are looking forward to that? Would you raise your hand? That fellowship with God before Rosh Hashanah. Amen? Se separating the time unto God, correct? All right. But now what we, what we need to look at is that the Lord is calling it a Sabbath of rest. You will do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all of your dwellings. But we need to understand, beloved saints, that this rest is not just only physical rest. That this is redemptive rest. I said it's redemptive rest. For those of us that don't understand what redemptive rest is, because we will see that every biblical feast is in, is in the pattern of this Shabbat. It is in the pattern of the seventh. And so therefore we see various aspects of redemptive rest in every biblical feast. And today I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about the redemptive rest and what is it? Because redemptive rest is not just the rest that we relate to. Redemptive rest has to do with redeeming us from all different levels of bondage. It has to do with the rest from sorrow, the rest from anxiety, the rest from a, a, a taskmaster, the rest from emotional rest, uh, spiritual rest, uh, every kind of rest, rest over your life, rest in your household, rest with your family, rest with your relationships, every trial and tribulation, rest from the test. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Say it with me. The kind of rest I am getting during the biblical feast is redemptive rest. All right, so I want you to see, let's go now and see exactly what is Rosh Hashanah like. Going to, um, going to verse 24 where we began. Verse 24, the Bible says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you will have a Sabbath. Notice this pattern of having a Sabbath in every biblical feast. A memorial, a blowing of the trumpets, a holy convocation. Again, God is emphasizing it's not like a normal secular segment of time. 
God is saying, in order for you to receive the full benefit of what God wants to do, by faith, you're going to have to shut things down. So that means we're going to have to prepare in advance. Start getting your whole week ready the couple days before. Start getting all your business ready so that when that day, that night before Rosh Hashanah begins, your schedule is cleared. So it's just you and the Lord. And also, you're just, gonna, you're just going to focus on the things of God. You're going to focus on his word. You're going to congregate with the people of God, and you're not going to be having our minds on anything secular. Just for, for two days, first day is supposed to be a Shabbat, but I just wanted to be a Shabbat the whole time. All right. And, and we're just going to just enter into the presence of God and let the Lord speak to us. Let the Lord deal with us. Let the Lord's presence come. Let the Lord's power fall. Let the Lord not be hindered. Let the true rest of God begin the new year, breaking a bondage, breaking that rest that God wants to bring you into, looking at Isaiah chapter 14, looking at verse 3. Do you really want to see what that rest looks like? Isaiah 14 verse 3. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will give you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and from your hard bondage wherein you were made to serve. Do you understand it, saints? If you do, say amen. All right. Hallelujah. Now, what about Rosh Hashanah? What is it? There are so many names for Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah has so many spiritual similitudes. In the scriptures, we see so many references of miracles that actually occurred on Rosh Hashanah. One of the greatest meanings of Rosh Hashanah, a day of the blowing of the trumpets. We just saw that, didn't we, in Leviticus 23, verse 24. Let's go to Leviticus uh, Numbers, chapter 29, verse 1. Let's make this even more personal. How many of you like things to be personal in the Bible? We don't want to read the Bible like a newspaper just so we know it happened, do we? Just reading the Bible just to know that the event occurred, what is that going to really do for you? What is it really going to do if all we do is read the Bible just to know things happened? Then we begin to develop a theology that says, it doesn't apply to me anymore because I just read it as history. So that particular part of the Bible is irrelevant. So when we don't know the personal, powerful, personal, prophetic meaning of every word in the Bible, we can actually think that there are some parts of the Bible that are irrelevant, that are non-useful, and that is heresy. Because the Bible says that uh, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired of God and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Are you with me? Say this with me, not some scripture, but all scripture. Say this with me. So what I'm reading has personal prophetic meaning for me now. Hallelujah. Now, 
watch, 29 verse 1. And in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you will have a holy convocation. Notice that's so similar to Leviticus 23, isn't it? But this is Numbers 29. You will do no servile work, but watch the difference. It is a day of the blowing of the trumpets for you, unto you. So we are going to see tonight, what does that mean? What does that look like? A day of the blowing of the trumpets to you. What does that look like in our personal lives? Does that mean that God is just going to blow, somebody's going to go up and just blow the trumpet and say, wow, that was just for me. Is that what that means? Sometimes you go to a concert, beautiful concert or a, wonderful um, recital, your niece or your grandchild or someone, and they say, we're dedicating this just for you. Is that what that means? No, that is not what this means. This means that every biblical feast is attached to an event. There is no biblical feast that is not attached to an event. So that what happened in that event, God releases every time that biblical feast comes up because it's a memorial. A memorial is not just remembering. A memorial is something alive. A memorial is something that's not dead. A memorial is something that started that God continues throughout eternity. It continues. It continues to be alive. Do you understand? What did the angel say to Cornelius? Your alms have become a memorial before God. So it doesn't mean just a commemoration. It means that there is something about that memorial that continues so Passover is attached to coming out of Egypt Shavuot is attached to the coming into the land and their first fruits being offered to God and it's also attached to an event the event was the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and Rosh Hashanah text is very ambiguous about it. It is actually attached to the Akita, to the binding of Isaac and the promise that God made for Abraham's descendants. That's why it's for you. Because every promise that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was for their descendants. So this means the reward that should have went to them went to their descendants. Do you all understand? Because to reward the vote means to a really a reward their seed. That is called inheritance. Can you say that with me? Nakala. Inheritance. inheritance. Say it again. Nakala. Nakala. Inheritance. inheritance. So here we see that all the inheritance from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not go to them and went to their descendants. So something happened on that day when Abraham was tested with his 10 tests. And that, that promise that God made for his descendants 
is demonstrated through a ram's horn because when he went to sacrifice Isaac, he saw the ram caught by its horn in the thicket. Let's look at that just for a moment so we know what we're talking about. Going to Genesis chapter 22, looking at verse 13. Notice, instead of his son, God provided. Notice, it says, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, what? Everyone say it. And behold. And behold, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Okay. What is a shofar? A shofar is what? A ram's horn. Say it. Okay, that's the ancient biblical way that Israel would be alerted. Okay, ram's horn. Okay, so <clears throat> at this event, the ram's horn is on display, isn't it? And what is the feature on Rosh Hashanah? Because the trumpet is referred to as a ram's horn in the Bible. And in this case, a day of the blowing of the trumpets, it actually says a day of the blowing of the teruah. So the teruah is the sound that can only come from a shofar. Do you understand that? That's how articulate the, the text is. So we don't have to guess, was it a silver trumpet? Was the kind of trumpet that you play when David and they were all playing the Psalms? Is that the kind of trumpet? And the answer to that is no. The trumpet is a teruah. That's why it is also called a Yom HaTeruah. So when it says the day of the blowing of the teruah unto you. So we're very clear on it. We're not guessing. It has to do with the ram's horn. The ram's horn is the identity of Rosh Hashanah. So why is that so important? What does that mean to us in 2022? Does it really affect our lives? How can some event that took place thousands of years ago possibly affect our lives? And how could that possibly affect us right now? And the answer to that is yes, it definitely affects our lives because a promise was given to Abraham's descendants and when the Teruah is blasted, it blasted, it's activated. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Say it becomes activated. Let's look at those promises. Look at verse 17, right there. Verse 17, no, going back to 16, only for context. By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, that because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the seashore. Now watch this. And your seed, say, I'm the seed, I'm the seed. Shall, possess shall possess the gates, the gates of his enemies. So say this, on Rosh Hashanah, all of the enemies that are against my destiny of the enemies, spiritual principalities and powers that I have been wrestling with, I will possess 
the gates of my enemies when that Teruah is blasted. Somebody ought to say everything in the Bible is relevant. Are you with me? Okay. So now we're going to see what does that really look like? Okay, we got, we got the truth. We got the basic. We have the conceptual framework developed. We have a conceptual framework, a little bit of a conceptual framework on Rosh Hashanah in the sense why the shofar is used because every biblical feast is attached to an event. All right? So now the question arises, what does that look like in my life? What does that look in, like in your life? One of the words, one of the reasons we use this possessing the gates of the enemy. How does that apply to your life? Well, it goes deeper into the meaning of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year. Say it with me. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Head of the year. Wow, that sounds a little strange. Head of the year? What is this? Does it really make sense? But what in reality it means also is that God is the lifter of your head. And on Rosh Hashanah, he lifts up your head. Do you know what that means? Say this with me. He's the lifter of my head. And he's going to lift up my head above my enemies round about. Somebody ought to shout. Somebody ought to give God the praise. Hallelujah. He's the lifter of your head. Let's go a little deeper into this so we can see these particular texts so that we know what we're speaking about here so we can be ready for Rosh Hashanah by faith because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what does it mean to lift up one's head? Say this with me, restoration and divine elevation in my life. Looking at Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, I want you to see what it means to lift up your head. For thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. To David, for his head to be lifted up, it meant that God was going to raise him up above his enemies. Throughout the Psalms, you see, you see that David is praying. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemy triumph over me. Say this with me. I'm not going to be ashamed. And my enemy is not going to triumph over me. What does it mean when your enemy triumphs over you? It means that they're saying, aha, you're down and I'm up. Not that we want to be better than our enemy. That's not what that's about. But it's about justice. It's proving that God is a vindicator. And when your heart is pure before God and you don't fight your battles, you let God fight them. We don't fight in the flesh by gossiping. Calling up and having somebody say, you know, I really need you to pray for me because ding, 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 ding has happened. We go off for 20 minutes. And the more we walk with the Lord, 
the more we know that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable behavior. Character traits God uses and character traits God refuses. And that's one of them. So we're not going to mess up our miracle. And we all have our little moments. But as we walk with the Lord and as we realize he's our defense, as we realize he's our shelter, as we realize he's our, our rock, as we realize he's everything, we don't need anybody else. We've already got the Lord on our side. Hello. I said we already got the Lord on our side. Man can do nothing to help you anyway. So you're trusting in the wrong person. And you're going to the wrong place for refuge. Hello, I said you're going to the wrong place for refuge unless you go to the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout it out. For you, O oh Lord, are the shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Looking at the scripture and continuing in the context. Deuteronomy 28. Here we go. Verse 13. The Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. What does that mean? Some people have said that makes you better than somebody else. Well, then that would, that would contradict scripture. Because if you are a head, look at what the word says. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. He will make you above and not beneath. If you hearken unto the commandments of the Lord your God. Okay, so what does that mean that he's going to make you above and Above only and not beneath. It doesn't mean better than. Above means higher than. I said higher than. Not better than. What does it mean to go higher than? It means if you cleave to the Lord your God and you walk in his ways and you know the word and you're following Jesus and you understand that our character is very important to him. And how we treat other people is not a light thing. To be kind, to be loving, to be Christ-like, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And love can only be expressed in sacrifice. It's not expressed just in emotion, because that, does not exist in the Bible. Although emotion is part of it. Phileos is brotherly love. So there has to be connectedness. If there's not connectedness, then we don't have the fullness of love. Being connected means we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We love one another. We're connected. There's people in the ministry as we walk with God, especially on those 5 a.m. prayer meetings, there's major connection. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. That's connectedness. And there has to be that sense of bonding and emotion in it. We're not just, hi, how are you? Praise God. Hug each other, go, and then that's, that's what it is. That is, that is that's nice. It's good manners, 
but that's not phileos. Phileos is, you hear of someone, they're hurting, you go out of your way to comfort them. That's phileos. You greet one another and you love to see each other. You're enjoying fellowship. Fellowship is a communion of Christ between believers. Fellowship can give you strength. That's why it's so important to be in one accord. Because we don't want to be out of fellowship. To be out of fellowship means to be out of phileos. And we need that phileos, don't we? Brotherly love. Love for each other. So that means when we see Mary, we see Dr. Tan, we see Mary over here. Mary's a relative. She really is. We don't just think of Mary as Mary. She's a relative. Okay, we see Sanjay. Truly, Sanjay is a son, especially to my husband. There's no, there's no joke about that. Pastor Sanjay is like his, his own child. He loves him like that. And I believe Pastor Sanjay loves Papa the same way. Do you all understand? Sisters, real sisters. Sometimes we have blood sisters, and then sometimes we have our real sisters, brothers. You have to start receiving joy from loving one another. That's why we're all in depression because we don't love one another, because Jesus said, love one another, that's your what? Your joy might be full. But we have a church that's so insular, and we have to have phileos, connectedness. And when we see each other, we rejoice. Wow, this is Mitzi. Praise God. She's so wonderful. We love her so much. That's Sister Christina. Wow, she's such a blessing. She gives so much. She is a total vessel of sacrifice. That's Margaret. She is just a, a pillar in the house of God. That's, that over there is Tony. She has dedicated her life to praising God. Come on, saints, are you with me? That's, that's phileos. Agape is a little different. Agape, you can serve without any emotion. That means somebody can hurt you, and that doesn't depend on your response. It means somebody does something really horrible to you, but your love is not dependent on how you feel about it. It's a gift of total self-donation, even when you get nothing back, because you're doing what Jesus did. So agape is self-sacrifice, pouring into each other, pouring out for Christ, being a vessel, giving our lives as a servant, Nowadays, we got to get something out of everything, don't we? Somebody always saying, well, I didn't get anything out of it. 
or somebody saying, I did all this and I didn't get anything. Nobody appreciated me. Wait a minute, sweetheart. Let me take you to boot camp. Okay, let me just take you back to boot camp here. Let's go back to the Bible. We're not doing it for people to appreciate us. We want Jesus to be pleased. We're doing it to please God, not to please man. We're doing it because we love Jesus. And yes, sometimes we do get a great appreciation. But a lot of times we don't get appreciation. And we're not doing it because we get appreciation. We're doing it because we love Jesus with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We love him more than anything, so he's the only one we want to please. Are you with me? So we got to get over it. Just get over that flesh. Just get over that carnality. Just get over that little ego that needs to be patted a little bit. Just crucify it with Christ on the cross. Hello, I said crucify it with Christ on the cross. Because it's not going to do anything for you except get you down. So it's not about being appreciated. It's about being a servant, pouring out our lives one for another. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Say it with me. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. One more time. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Okay, now, I don't know how we got off this. Oh, we were talking about the head and not the tail. So I want to make sure we got our theology right, okay? This is not about being a head honcho. This is about being raised up in holiness called Kedusha. It's a concept. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. He'll make you above and not beneath. Hallelujah. Your place is to be above only because you're going to raise up the presence of God wherever you go when you walk. The presence of God is going to follow you. And so you're going to change the atmosphere wherever you go because you are carrying the almighty God with you. Are you hearing it, saints? So the Bible says here, hallelujah, this is what's going to happen. That shofar is going to activate. Psalm 27, verse 6, David said, And now shall my enemies, how now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about? Lifting up one's head, what does that actually look like? What that looks like is found in 2 Kings chapter 25. Let's just look at it for a moment so we can understand what we're about to read in one second before we dismiss you. 2 Kings chapter 25, looking at verse 27. Here's what lifting up the head looks like. It says, and it came to pass... In the seven and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
in the 12th month, in the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, out of prison and spoke kindly to him and set his throne uh, above the kings uh, that were with him in Babylon. And he changed his prison garments and he did eat bread continually before him all the days of his life. What does that mean? That lifting up the head means to restore one to one's former place of honor. In, in our case, and in our case, this can mean in many cases to restore you to the place you're supposed to be. So even if you never had it, God wants you to be, he wants to give you such a deliverance that what you were robbed of by the enemy, God is going to give it to you as you walk in God. Hallelujah. And that utmost humility, are you with me, saints? If you are, say Amen. So now, beloved saints, what does it look like, the Yom HaTeruah, the blowing of the trumpets? What does this look like in my life? Okay, we're going to close with this, a little story from the Bible. But it's not a story. It's the word. Solomon. Let me read. Let me read about the day Solomon was anointed king over Israel. Hmm, what's going on? First Kings chapter one is going to show us what the blowing of the trumpet for you is going to look like. Bible tells us, first Kings chapter one, beginning in verse 34, take it back to 33. And the king said unto them, Take with you servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon, my son, to ride upon my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel, and blow the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Now, that sounds like a wonderful anointing day, doesn't it? You got the day of the blowing of the trumpets there, don't we? But I'm going to tell you why it's so spiritually significant and why it is related to the lifting of the head. Why it really is a Rosh Hashanah-like event. Because you have all three components of Rosh Hashanah in Solomon's anointing. Number one, you have Shofarot. You have the blowing of the trumpet because he's crowned king. Number two, you have the concept of Malkiot, kingship. And number three, we also have Zikronot, and that's a secret. Zikronot means remembrance. What's going on here? You see, go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 22 as he continues. 1 Chronicles 22 verse 9. 
I want you to see it. Before Solomon was ever born, God gave Solomon a promise through the prophet Nathan, and it was given to King David. He said, behold, a son will be born to you, and he shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel all his days. Oh, this just sounds like a, sounds like he's going to be born with a silver spoon in his mouth, doesn't it? Got a prophecy, got his name. And we read the day the trumpet was blown over him and he was anointed king. But there's just a little bit of the story that is given to us in chapter one before that anointing. And did you know, it's a very serious thing that happened to Solomon. Very serious, very serious tribulation. You see, in a personal prophetic sense of scripture, we see the blowing of the trumpet as a lifting up of his head First of all, because it is the day of the inauguration, not cancellation of his prophetic promise. Because if you read 1 Kings chapter 1 prior to the day he was anointed, you will see that every single event around his life was, every circumstance around his life was positioned for cancellation. That what God promised him was not going to happen and that there was no possible way that it could happen. So I want you to see, beloved saints, that there were impediments to the impossible. And the text presents 1 Kings chapter 1 before he is anointed as a prelude to the prophetic prefiguring of what happens on the day of the blowing of the trumpet and what it looks like when God lifts up your head. Look at verses 5 through 7 and I will explain it to you. Notice this is the, this is the time of his, this is prior to Solomon's anointing. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5. This had to be inserted here, not so you know what happens, so you know that God lifted up his head, so that you know that his destiny was almost canceled, so that you know that the blowing of the trumpet was a sign, not of cancellation, but inauguration. And the same thing is for you. Hello, somebody. Notice what the Bible says. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggit, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him 50, he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time, saying, why have you done so? And he was a very goodly man, and his mother bore him after Absalom. What's going on here? Adonijah was fourth in line of David's sons. 
He was the birth heir. He should have been the heir because he was the firstborn son. The firstborn son of David was Amnon. He was murdered by Absalom. Secondborn son was Absalom. Absalom was murdered by Joab. Thirdborn son, we don't know what happened to him, but he's dead. Fourthborn son is Adonijah. So guess what he's doing? He's claiming his throne. And the Bible says, if you go back in the verse, his father had not displeased him at any time saying, why have you done this? So that means David already knew that God had already promised it's going to be Nathan. Uh, Nathan, the prophet, promised it's already going to be Solomon. But David's not stopping him. Do you know why? Because the beginning of this text, this chapter begins with David being very old. And he's so old, he's in bed. He can't even get out. And do you know why he's so weary? Because he already went through this with another son. Absalom, in his older age, rebelled against his father. And David is seeing this. And do you know why he's not stopping Adonijah? Because he just can't go through it again. He's too old. He can't go through another Absalom. He's already on his deathbed. So he's just trusting God to work it out. And do you know what happens? The prophet Nathan hears of it. And do you know what he does? He goes to Bathsheba. And he says to Bathsheba, you better get in to that place where your husband is lying on that bed. And you better tell him, behold, Adonijah has made himself king. And did you not swear to me, my lord the king, that my son Solomon would rule after you? And when you say those words, I will come in after you and confirm your words. And so Bathsheba had to remind David Remembrance, remembrance, telling the king what he had promised. Say, telling the king what he had promised. Say it again, telling the king what he had promised. Say it again, telling the king what he had promised. Bringing it to his remembrance. Say this with me, the king doesn't forget. But he's waiting for me to bring it to his remembrance through prayer. Hallelujah. What did he promise you? Ask your neighbor and say, what did the king promise you? And what are you going to remind him of? Hello. I said, what are you going to remind him of? What did the king promise you? Hello. What did the king promise you? And what are you going to remind him of? Did you hear what I said? I said, what did the king promise you? And what are you going to remind him of before Rosh Hashanah? If I were you, I would go in my word and every place where God spoke to you, you better get those words out and start reminding God. He has not forgotten, but he wants your faith to be stirred up, waiting and expecting him to move on your behalf. Yeah. 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 
Now, if you think that's bad, look at the next verse. David isn't moving, but now that Nathan's gone in, hallelujah, Nathan represents the Holy Ghost. I said, Nathan represents the Holy Ghost. And when you go before the king and the Holy Ghost confirms your words, say this with me. When I go before the king, the Holy Ghost is going to confirm, hallelujah, my words that I have spoken unto the king and somebody ought to give God the praise. The Bible says we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hallelujah. Now watch this one. And he conferred this Adonijah, conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah and Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. Do you realize who those two young, those two men were? Right by now, Joab is acting as prime minister because David can't get out of bed. And his right-hand man is Joab. So the prime minister has now backed up the wrong man. He is backing up Adonijah. And Abiathar is the priest who was with David since his days of his youth. He is the one that protected him in the wilderness and always inquired of God at his side. So now Adonijah has all the political and religious power behind him. How can Solomon's word come to pass? Why is that written? In case you're in a situation that your word looks impossible, that your promise looks impossible, that your prophecy looks impossible. You better stand to your feet and start claiming it right now. You better say, hallelujah, on Rosh Hashanah, I'm getting ready. Hallelujah for the Lord to lift up my head. On Rosh Hashanah, I'm getting my claim in to every word that God's ever promised to me. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout the victory and give God the glory. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's Hesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.